All right, welcome everybody. Nice to see you today. Man, we are talking about all the feels. We said last week we got to deal with the feels, or the feels will deal with you. We talked about anger and the power of that emotion in our lives and how God can begin to give us victory there. Today I wanna to talk to you about worry. How many people are like me, you are a world-class worrier? Anybody like, I'm, I'm, I mean, if there's a PhD in worry, I've earned it. Come on, I've earned it. I've got the genetic disposition. I can create the worst case scenario in my mind and then run it, you know, a thousand different loops. And, and uh, you know, it just gets it's crazy. In fact, I had a little run in with, uh, with worry. Just a couple weeks ago, we dropped our oldest daughter off at college. And uh, so proud of her. She's worked really hard. She made great grades. Uh, she's very bright. She got some great scholarships. She chose her school, which happened to be like right on the beach in Southern California. It's a hard knock life, people. I'm like, wow, all right, go Emma. So we go down to drop her off for school and all of that, and, and uh, it was great, it was a good experience. Um, they kind of had this orientation both for students and for parents, and at the end of the parent orientation, the president of the school, after a couple days, he goes, all right, parents, we've laughed, we've had fun, you've moved your kids in, they're all in the dorm, everything's great, you need to leave now. <laughs> and we were all sort of like, oh, wow, okay. Gotta go, so we go back to her dorm. Now my daughter's on the, the uh, third floor of this three-story freshman dorm. And um, so they're all freshmen. The first story is all freshman girls, because it's a faith-based liberal arts school, right? It's a Christian-based school. So the first story is all Christian girls. The second story is all boys. <laughs> then the third story is all girls. Now, who thought of that? Right? And I'm sitting there in a room. We're about to say goodbye. I'm emotional. You know, all these emotions are going on. I'll see you later, all that. And, and I said, so like, you know, because I'm thinking, it's a faith-based school, right? Like, boys can't come on this floor, right? They can, they got to stay on their own floor, and then you all meet out in the courtyard or whatever. They're like, oh, no, boys can come on the floor. <laughs> Emma says, in fact, we had a, kind of a meeting with our RA last night, and one of the girls asked, so boys can come on the floor, and we can shut the door to our rooms, right? And I'm like, Oh, should I be concerned? I'm not worried about Emma, but I'm telling you, I'm worried about all those boys on the second floor. I used to be one of those boys, so I know what's going on there. And I'm, I've never seen so many boys walking around a college campus with their shirts off and their surfboards under their arms, and I'm like, okay, my worry's starting to grow now. I'm getting concerned here, and that concern is growing. I'm starting to think about the future. I'm starting to imagine all kinds of scenarios. Only a dad of daughters will fully understand what I'm talking about here. But listen, that's what concern and worry is kind of like. Concern is a great sort of feeling, emotion. We, we, we should be, I should be concerned for my daughter. You should be concerned for your friends, your family members, for your health. You're concerned for your job, for your coworkers. Concern is simply um, showing care towards something or someone that we care about. Right? Concern is good. We said last week that there are no bad emotions, but every emotion can go bad. And so worry is just concern gone bad. Worry's just concern, which is good, gone bad, taken too 
far. Worry kind of moves our thought process out of caring about something or someone into trying to control something or someone that we can't control. That's when you start really worrying, right? It moves us into a future we can't control. Worry is assuming responsibility for things that God never intended for you to take responsibility for. And so we live in the future of the unknown and all the worries and all the fears that come from that and it just strangles our joy Worry keeps us tied up in knots and basically locks us out from experiencing the joy of today. So we miss the joy of today because we're so worried about what might happen, probably won't, but might, tomorrow. Um, Worry never fixes today. It doesn't work. You ever thought about that? Like all your worry, uh, you know, uh, all that stuff that that you stress about, that you think about, it makes absolutely no positive difference in your life today. It does nothing but negative, right? Worry, um, you know, really, worry never fixes tomorrow, and it always ruins today. Always ruins today. So we all wrestle with worry. I worry all the time. It's a struggle. It's not easy. But I want to talk to you about how we can replace some of our worry with something else. Because I think worry is one of those emotions that, you know, it's easy to just say to people, hey, don't worry. I'm like, well, thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate that. Really super insightful. (laughs) Easier said than done, right? But if you replace worry with some things, well, that's something else. And I think it can make a difference. So I want to look at three things that we can replace worry with in our lives. And I want to do that by leaning into this great classic biblical story, 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, it's the story of Elisha. Let me just set it up. Elisha is a prophet of God, which means he had sort of special gifts and abilities. He was the spokesperson from God to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And um, each prophet, you know, had, a, had a sort of their own core mission. Some of them had different gifts and abilities. Uh, Elisha, one of the things that was going on is the Israelites are in the promised land of Israel, and these raiders keep trying to sneak up and ambush the Israelite army. And these raiders are led by this sort of warlord who called himself the king of Aram, okay? And so... Every time they tried to ambush the Israelites, somehow the Israelites like figured out what they were gonna do and were always one step ahead of them. And the king of Aram is like, this doesn't make any sense. How are they always one step ahead of us? And so somebody finally speaks up and goes, well, they have a prophet and his name is uh, Elisha. And Elisha has insight and knowledge and he keeps telling them where to go and what to do and that's why they're outmaneuvering you. So the king says, well, let's go get Elisha. We'll take care of that problem. So they all get their, their, their warriors, their horses, their chariots together, and they surround Elisha. And basically, Elisha and his assistant go to bed one night. They get up the next morning at daybreak, and they got a problem. And here's what we read. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. When we get to the uh, red word, highlighted word, read that out loud with me, everybody. That's how we make sure everybody's awake here. So here's what it says. When the servant of the man of God, so that's the servant of Elisha, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops. Horses and chariots where? Everywhere. They were everywhere. And then what does it say? Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. So they basically just wakes up and looks out, and here's this whole army. It's like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. 
Some of you may be there right now in your life. You're looking out at a health situation in your life and it feels like there's a whole army against you, right? You're looking out at a family situation. It feels like the whole world is against you. Some of you right now are trying to find work and as much as you try, you can't find the right job, the real thing that you really are passionate about. It just feels like everybody has been against you. Some of you right now with a friend or a family member or uh, you know a, a neighbor, Man, you feel like they are looking down on you. They're coming against you. They're withholding your ability to move forward. It just feels like there's an army against you. And so you get concerned, and then that concern starts to look out in the future. You start to worry about the fact that you'll always have that issue against you. You'll never get victory over that issue. You start to worry about the consequences of that for the people around you. And real quick, that concern becomes worry, which becomes paralyzing, which becomes horrible. Other than that, but notice the question that Elisha's servant asked. He said, what should we do now? See, when you're facing an army, <laughs> when you're facing an obstacle, that's a great question. What do you do now? Because if you will move from just being worried to actually doing something that you can do in a positive way, it helps replace some of that worry with action. So the first thing we can replace worry with is simply this, action. Act on your concern. Act on your concern. I saw this on social media this week. I thought it was great. Um, it's a guy, he's making tacos. Check this out, look at this image. Making fish tacos for the guy who keeps stealing my lunch at work. But look right up there at the, at the can he's making those tacos with. That's cat food, my friends. Frisky's cat food. So I wonder if this guy, that's called taking action on your concern. Right? Unless the guy likes it. He's like, hey, it tastes just like Taco Bell. We're good. So then you got another problem. Sometimes the best thing we can do with that worry is to start asking ourselves, what's the underlying concern that's driving me to worry? And then to take the step in our life to take action on what we can take action on related to that concern. In fact, I've got a little chart up here on the platform, I just wanna talk you through. It's a couple circles here. One is uh, a reddish color, one's blue. And uh, the reddish color circle, it says uh, concern. This is our circle of concern right here. This represents uh, you know, the things that you care about, your friends, your family, your job, your stuff, your money, uh, you know, your sports team, whatever you're passionate about. This is your circle of concern. And we all have our circle of concern, and that's healthy, right? This is our circle of control. <laughs> These are the things that we can control and, and are the things that we can actually influence. Now, I want you to notice where these two circles overlap. Uh, this is really the area where I think we want to live because this is an area where our circle of concern overlaps with our circle of control. There are some things we can do and we should do them, some things that we're concerned about and we should take action towards those things. But the challenge, if we're honest, is most of us, myself included, so often we wanna live way out here in this area that we cannot control. And this is where concern becomes worry, right? This is where we, we, we're concerned about our future health. Like my, my, my oldest brother, uh, who's um, like 17 years older than me, uh, and then my 
sister, uh, my, my youngest sister, who's 13 years older than me, they both have type 2 diabetes. I have worried for years that I'm going to get type 2 diabetes. It's way out here in the future, right? But I've worried about it. I've stressed about it. Every time I eat a piece of pie, I think, here comes the diabetes. Every time I, you know, every time I, I eat a carb, I'm like, oh, man, get ready for the shots, because I've watched them, you know, like. It's not rational, but it's still where I've lived. It's out here out of my control, but there are some things I can do, and that's why I try to work out at least three times a week. Five if I'm really rocking it, but I'm being honest, I'm in church three times a week, it's good. <laughs> right? That's why I try to at least be as responsible as my compulsive self can be with food. Mostly good, except Lori's been out of town this weekend, so it's been carb city at my house, it's been awesome. <laughs> but I'll rein it back in this next week. And that's what we wanna do. We wanna, we, we, we wanna deal with these areas out here that we can't control and surrender them to God. And we wanna drive it back into what we can actually do and act on our concerns. Act on the concerns you can. Here's the key, I think, to managing worry, at least what I've found in my life. The key to managing worry, do the things that only you can do and then trust God to do the things that only he can do. Right? I'm going to do what only I can do. Only I can make better food decisions, right? Only I can go to the gym and exercise. I mean, and then I'm going to trust God to do what only he can do. And if, if I get this thing or that thing, okay, you know, I did what I could do. I trust God to do what he could do. That's how I think you manage worry. I remember years ago when our kids, uh, when Emma was a little bitty baby, just born, and um, she would wake us up in the middle of the night crying. Come on, young parents, some of you right there, right now, you know what I'm talking about? Getting up all night long, navigating that. And so I'd hear the, you know, I hear, I'd hear crying. I remember one night, she just would not stop crying, wouldn't stop crying, wouldn't stop crying. And I remember laying there, and I started to worry as a young parent. And I wasn't just worried about, you know, Emma, like how she is. I'm honest, I was worried about me. Always comes back to me, doesn't it? Most of us, if we're honest, right? Like, you know what I'm thinking? Like, is she ever gonna sleep again? What if I never sleep again? How can I lead the church if I don't sleep? How can I function if I don't, if I don't sleep? You know, if I'm, not, if I'm not able to sleep, right? And you see how concern moved into worry about things I can't control really fast. But you know what happened is when I took my con concern and layered it with what I could actually control, I'd stop worrying because I'd just get out of bed because I wasn't going to sleep anyway. And I'd get Emma, and I'd put her in her car seat, and I would put her in the car, because I knew if I drove her around, man, she'd go to sleep, right? So I'd be driving her around, three in the morning, you know, like police officers, you're kind of watching for them, like, hey man, don't pull me over here, I'm just, you know, I'm just out driving my kid around who's crying in the back seat. She'd fall asleep, then you'd get stuck at a red light. Any of you ever had this moment? There's like nobody around and you're like, you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Can you, know, cause you, you know she's gonna wake up at any minute. Put it in reverse, put it back in drive, put it in reverse, put it back in drive. Like, gotta keep the movement going, bro. You cannot stop the movement. I was gonna be concerned no matter what all night long. I was way better off when I took my concern and put it into action rather than just laying there fretting about the future. Act on your concern, whatever it is, and it's a way to replace worry. Worry never fixes tomorrow, but it always ruins today. Here's another thought, and that is to grow your perspective, to grow to your, your perspective. So Lori's great-grandfather, guy that we called Papa, 
was an interesting guy. I only met him once. But Papa decided 20 years before he died that he was going to die that night. And every time Papa would see somebody, he would tell them, uh, this will be the last time that we see each other. I'm, I'm probably going to die tonight. And I just need you to know this. It even gets worse. Every night before he went to bed, I'm not making this up, Papa looked over at Lori's great-grandmother and said, honey, you better, better say goodbye to me. Tonight's going to be the night. I'm going to die. And at first I think she was really concerned, maybe even worried. But after about 20 years of that, you're like, all right, cool. You know. And I, I, thought, I thought Lori's family, they'd tell me these stories. I thought they were exaggerating. Like, that's not really what Papa's like. So I met him once. I stuck my hand out. Lori and I were engaged. I said, you know, or maybe we'd just gotten married. I can't remember. I shook his hand and I said, you know, it's, it's an honor to meet you. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm Judd. And he said his name. And the very next thing he said to me, he goes, I almost died today. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my word, they weren't making it up. He goes, yep, this guy ran right through that red light, almost killed me. Like, what are you doing driving, first of all? Anyway, <laughs> so we sat down and we started having a conversation. Sure enough, at the end of the conversation, he goes, well, it was nice of you to come visit, and uh, we need to say our goodbyes now because I'm probably going to die tonight. <laughs> Listen, Papa lived to be 88 years old. But unfortunately, somewhere in his 50s, he died. And that worry and that concern just swallowed his life. And he was convinced every day was his last day. And it didn't motivate him to be generous. It didn't motivate him to love people. It motivated him to do the exact opposite. And so that's what worry does. In our own way, haven't we all done that? Like we worry about something that is unlikely to happen. You know, it's probably not gonna happen, but it could happen because anything could happen, right? or you open up the news, the news is basically just selling us worry and fear all day, every day. It's selling it. I'll never forget when gas prices were going up and it was like, oh my gosh, wring your hands. What are we gonna do? What if we never have gas for our vehicles? What if, you know, you gotta, we all have to drive Priuses? What if the whole world ends? You know, what, what's gonna happen, right? Gas prices are going up. Oh my gosh, 911, alarm, alarm, alarm. And then guess what happened? Gas prices started going down. And I was like, oh wow, would you believe within two weeks I saw a news article, well, basically why it's terrible that gas prices are dropping. Can you believe gas prices are dropping? That means the price of oil is dropping. And that means we're going to feel it in all these different ways. We should be really concerned. The price of gas should be going up. Oh, my gosh. The election cycle. Here we go. Hey, we don't talk about politics at Central. And I, I, if you've been around, I, look, I've, I've lived through too many of these, okay? We don't talk about it. But here's what I'll tell you. You better guard your heart over the next many months if you want to have any peace in your life because every side and every angle is selling you fear and worry for good or bad, wherever you land. It's all around us. So sometimes we just need a bigger perspective. And that's what Elisha is about to give his young assistant. 
He wakes up, here's this army all around him. He's like, oh, this is not good. And look at what happens. 2 Kings chapter six, beginning in verse 16. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. <laughs> what? Don't be afraid. Like you can imagine, this assistant's going, man, what, did you have something to drink this morning? I didn't, you know, like what's going on? Elisha, like don't be afraid. Are you, look, they, they have a whole army. They have horses, they have chariots. All we have, we haven't even had breakfast. All we have is you and me standing here. He says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Okay. He says, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord what? Opened. He opened the eyes, the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So Elisha walks out, sees what his assistant can't see, that yes, there's an army around us, but there's another army on the backside of that army, and it's filled with angels and chariots of fire. So here's, Here's Elisha's servant, right? And he's like looking out going, oh, this is bad. Look, they have horses. And, and uh, Elisha's going, yeah, and, uh, and we have angels. And they have uh, chariots. Yeah, and we have chariots of fire. Yeah, and they have a king. Yeah, and we have the king of kings. He's saying there's more on our side than are on their side. And it, I think it just sort of pulls the veil back. Every now and then the Bible will do this. It'll just pull the veil back. Now we don't know all the mysteries and answers of the spiritual dynamic of what happens, but there are consistent themes that run through the Bible and one of them is that there is just more going on than meets the natural eye. There's more happening. And sometimes when we're up against a problem or an army of our own or a situation, it's easy to feel alone. It's easy to worry. It's a lot easy to allow our fears to run away. Sometimes we just gotta pull back and maybe pray the prayer that Elisha prayed. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to your presence. Open my eyes to your power. Lord, I'm, fear, I'm fearful. I'm worried. Help me see that there is more with us than are with them. Help me see that you've got my back. Help me see that I'm not alone in this. God, open my eyes. Because listen, so much of worry is about our perspective, right? When you realize the size of your God, then that changes how you view the size of your problem. Yes, right there. Thank you. You get, a, you get an A plus for energy. I love it. I need all the help I can get. Thank you. But that's real. Like, like, like when you're facing a problem in a situation, you can focus on that problem that's before you or you can focus on the God who is beside you. It's your choice. You focus on the problem, it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, like Godzilla, right? Until it's just this huge thing that you can't see anything uh, but the problem. But you start focusing on the God who is beside you, and that God in your mind and heart gets bigger and bigger and bigger and requires more and more of your attention. That problem may still be real, it may be a legitimate concern, but it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So the size of your God often shapes how you see the size of your problem. And when you see God as who he actually is, when Elisha looks out, he says, hey, there's more, there's more with us than are with them. We gotta hang on to that. We gotta remember that, friends, that God is with us and working in our hearts and in our lives. We gotta grow a larger perspective. So what do we replace worry with? 
First, uh, we replace worry with acting on our concern, doing what we can actually do. Secondly, then we grow our perspective in our heart and life. And then thirdly, we ask God for help. We ask God for help and we do it consistently and regularly. I saw this uh, couple pictures I thought were great. It's this little girl on her first day of school. Uh, you know, she, here, check her out. Uh, this was on social media. You know, she's, she's cute, she's smiling, she's dressed up, she's got her uniform on, she's ready to go, first day of school, it's gonna be awesome. This is a picture of her after the first day of school on the way back home. <laughs> Doesn't life kind of feel like that sometimes? Anybody feel like that when they get home from work? It's like, oh man, they took it out of me today. I got nothing left. There's nothing in the tank, right? You just, you walk in and you're like, I'm just glad to be alive. That's all I know right now. I survived another day. Sometimes people come along and sometimes they'll say, hey, well, I know it's hard, but God will never give you anything that you can't handle. And that's, you know, comforting, but you know, when you hear that, oh, wow, God's there. But let me just tell you, like, as comforting as they may be, you can read through the whole Bible, friends. It's not in there. God is in the business of giving his people things that they can't handle on their own. That's what he does. Now, here's what the Bible does say. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? With God... Working in our hearts and lives, we can face things that are maybe too great for us in our, you know, in our, you know, in our own strength and in our own power. And so, yeah, sometimes we face things that in our own strength and in our own power are more than we can bear. I've watched over 25 years as a pastor, people walk through the most horrible, tragic, horrific things. Um, you know, you cannot tell me some of these people are facing something they could bear on their own. But I've also watched those people describe to me a peace that God gives them, even in that tragedy, even in that circumstance, that somehow sees them through it. And I've marveled at it, right? It's the peace of God that passes our understanding. So what do we do with our fears and our worries? Well, we remember that God is over it all. Philippians chapter four, verse six. This is so good. Here's what the Bible says about how to handle worry. It says, let petitions and prayers shape your worries into what? prayers. Let, it, let worry move you to pray, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Just come and settle you down. So friends, I know some of us, if you're like me, you, you worry. You just have a, a disposition towards it more than others. You let that concern quickly run into the future. So I wanna focus on acting, on doing what I can do, and then I wanna trust God to do what only he can do. And then I wanna step back and I wanna grow my perspective and remember that God is large and in charge and he loves us as his children. And then I wanna ask him for help. Every day, I wanna ask him for help. Psalm 34 is this powerful psalm and the psalmist basically says, you know, I've, I've gone, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me. And it says, he took away all my fears, which is an amazing statement, that God can actually take away all of your fears. It's awesome. But then it goes on, and it says that um, those who cry out to the Lord will be radiant with joy. Come on, ladies. How many of you want to be radiant? You know what I'm saying? 
You, you can work that skincare product all day long. You can spend a fortune trying to get radiant, right? Like we could take the right vitamins, change your diet, all of that. But I'm telling you, there is a radiance that you can't buy. And that radiance comes through faith in God and trust in him. And when you believe in him and trust in him, you can radiate his joy in your life. Even in the midst of really stressful circumstances and situations to take your issues and concerns to him. I think worry is one of those things where maybe we don't need to try harder, maybe we just need to try softer. John Ortberg, author, pastor, psychologist, writes about how, you know, we often tell people to try harder, like at school, try harder, you know, sports, try harder. And, a lot, and sometimes that works, right, in certain situations or circumstances. But not in all of them, like, you know, you tell somebody like, try harder to relax, <laughs> right? Try harder to go to sleep. Doesn't, doesn't work very well. It's kind of like saying, try harder to not worry. He says, maybe when it comes to worry, we don't need to say to people, try harder. We need to just say, hey, try softer. Just try softer. What does he mean by that? Well, he describes trying softer this way. He says, um, trying softer means focusing more on God's goodness than our own efforts. It means being more relaxed and less self-conscious, less pressured. When I try softer, I'm less defensive, I'm more open to feedback, I learn better. I stay patient if things don't turn out the way I expected. It means less self-congratulation when I do well and less self-flagellation when I fall down. I love that. It means asking God for help. And maybe when it comes to worry, we simply need to try softer and to trust in God and his goodness to handle what we can't control. You know, there's another circle in my little board here. It's the circle that goes all around everything, and that's to represent God. He's bigger than my concern, and he's bigger than what I can and can't control. And so I wanna try softer and trust him. You know, in Elisha's story, here's the army. It looks desperate. It's the end, and ultimately, um, God prays that, or Elisha prays that God would blind the, uh, the army and they're kind of blinded or almost when you read the story, they're more like confused. And so Elisha says to them, hey, I know where that prophet is that you're looking for. He says, follow me. And they're following the prophet, but he's got them all tricked. And so they follow him. He leads them right in to the stronghold city of the Israelites in Samaria. They go right into the city. And then Elisha prays, God, now open their eyes. And this army opens their eyes. And they're in basically enemy territory, surrounded in the midst of this city. They realize we've been led in a trap. And it's interesting, the king cries out to Elisha, the king of Israel. He says, hey, uh, well, you know, what do we do? How, what do we do with them? He says, do we, should we kill them? You know, they're right here. And Elisha says, that's not, that's not what we do with prisoners of war. He says, let's throw a feast. So they have a huge meal together and they celebrate and they eat together. And then in the end, all the raiders leave that town. And there's this little footnote at the end of the story that says, from then on, the king of Aram's people left the Israelites alone. It was like, instead of trying harder, they tried softer. There was no revenge, there was no blood, there was no, they celebrated God's goodness on all sides. And I think that's what can happen when we take our worries and our cares to him and surrender them to him. Listen, worry, it never fixes tomorrow, right? But it always ruins today. 
And so when that worry starts to build up in your heart, channel it into action to do what only you can do and then pray, God, take, take what I can't do. You do what only you can do. And then not only act on that concern, but step back in your own life and get a bigger perspective. Realize that God is bigger than so much of the problems we may be facing. And then ask him for help. Keep continually, regularly praying and asking God to move and work in your life, to fill you with joy from the inside out. And I believe that he will. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never really crossed the line of faith in your heart and in your life. And if that's where you're at, I'd love to just give you an opportunity to reach out to God and put your faith and your trust in him, to uh, believe in him and experience his goodness and salvation working and moving in your life. So would all of you please bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can begin that journey by repeating this prayer after me to say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, would you just slip your hand in the air? Just make eye contact with me just to say before God, to say to me, you're gonna follow him in your life today. God bless you guys, thank you. Thank you guys, God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, brother, thank you. Thank you, thank you. God, I thank you for each person just reaching out to you today. I pray you'll fill them with your love, your hope, your purpose, your salvation. God, take our worries, take our cares, take our concerns and fill us with your peace. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.